Welcome to By the Glass, a podcast dedicated to boozy beverages and the people who make and drink them. I'm your host, Chris Paldoyan. Women represent more than 50% of the hospitality industry's workforce, but occupy only 23% of the industry's leadership positions. In California, only 10% of winemakers are women, and only 4% of California wineries are owned by women. In an effort to close these gaps, Rania Zayat started Wonder Women of Wine, a nonprofit organization that advocates gender equality in the wine industry. Wonder Women of Wine hosted its inaugural conference in March of 2019, which consisted of panel discussions on winemaking, importing and writing, as well as a comprehensive wine tasting on day two. I wanted to hear from Rania how her own experiences influenced her decision to start WOW and how the organization has grown over the past year. We chatted in early June. Here's Rania. Rania, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Chris and I were out um, looking at rentals today. We're trying to move to the closer to Bufalina, like East Austin area. So we've today was our first day going out and looking, um, which was really fun. But yeah. Moving is always so stressful. I, I don't know. I mean, you probably have a good reason for moving, but I inviting that stress into my life at a time <laughs> when it's already so stressful just sounds... A little masochistic, but yeah, we've been in this. Chris has been in the same house for like seven years, and I've wow. been in it since we first started dating, pretty much. So I think we both are just like tired of making the commute to the east side, which, as you know, it's like nothing compared to driving across Houston for work. But um, yeah, but at least in Houston, I feel like the infrastructure is there for commuting. Whereas mm-hmm. Austin, what I hear from so many people is that the traffic's bad just because the city isn't built for the amount of congestion there is. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So we just want to just be closer to the side of town where we spend most of our time anyway. <laughs> that makes sense. I remember yeah. Matt Bowman telling me that he wanted to be within walking distance of Bufalina, that he wanted to be able to walk or bike be able to commute to work without a car. A lot of people that work at the restaurant actually don't own cars. Really? Um, yeah. And like, Hell yeah, that's awesome. I, it is pretty cool. So that's my future goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what did you do this weekend? What were you up to? Um, so I worked on Saturday. And then yesterday I went to uh, – I was at a protest for most of the day, a march, Hell yeah. a rally in a march. Um, started off at – um, Huston Tillotson University, which is a historically black college in East Austin. So we had, there was a big rally there for about an hour and then it's on East 7th. And so we just marched from East 7th down to Congress and marched to the Capitol. Um, there was some more speeches down at the Capitol and then everyone kind of wa- uh, marched back towards the university. So I did oh, that yeah. from about like one to five yesterday and, you know, it was brutally hot, of course, but, uh, it was really peaceful, um, a really great, the protests in general and so that's awesome yeah it felt good to get outside what sort of speakers were there um so there were basically it was put on by the austin justice coalition um so they had a few speakers and then i know that um our mayor steve adler was like sitting there in the front row um so they addressed him a couple times um during the speeches and um, unfortunately, the speeches that happened down in front of the Capitol, they, the microphones were so poor that you really couldn't hear anything unless you were like right there and it was very crowded. So we just uh, took that opportunity to catch some shade and <laughs> some water. And um, yeah. But yeah, there were a lot of great people out and it was really inspiring. 
Yeah, the first protest that I went to here in Houston was on the 29th of May, and it was very kind of spontaneous, not the same as the one that was put on last Tuesday by Bun B yeah. and Trey the Truth. Yeah. But both both protests that I went to here in Houston were both peaceful and incredibly well attended. I mean, the one last Tuesday, I think they say now it's like 70,000 people that were there. So yeah. and I'm sure it was just as hot at that one as it was for yours yesterday. So. Exactly. Yeah, it was great. But, great to be a part of it. So. No, for sure. Well, thank you for coming on and uh, talking about Wonder Women of Wine. I think the first time you and I really chatted with one another, it might have been the first time we met. I don't know. But um, it was on that wine trip that we took in January of 2019 to the Loire Valley with uh, David Mayfield. Yes, I agree. I think that is the first time too. It was a wild trip. That was a lot of fun. That was so much fun. <laughs> but we visited some amazing wineries on that trip. I mean, uh, Lise and Bertrand Jusset, like that was an amazing trip. Um, do you remember being really wowed by any particular winery on that? Um, yeah, I really loved Benoit Corot. Yeah. I thought that was just so, you know, like that picturesque French lifestyle in the Loire where you like live on your, you live yeah. right by the vines and, you know, just he... I didn't have yeah. indoor plumbing, like his kids were running around. Like it was just, <laughs> it was, it was a very picturesque. Um, and I really liked uh, Domaine Balbinet yeah. as well. Um, thought that was really cool. And yeah, as you say, with having lunch out there with them, That's that was beautiful. Fun. And just like the small charm factor was there, I felt like with every yeah. producer we visited. You mentioned it earlier, but you work at Bufalina, uh, your uh, pizza shop uh, that makes the best pizza in, I think, Texas, and you also have the best wine list. And it's always fun when I go there to see this mix of people that are there as a who see it as a wine destination and then the people that see it as a pizza destination. And this kind of like converging of these two sometimes very disparate groups. It's a super fun place. And I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about what it's like to kind of be working at a pizza shop that also doubles as like the most badass wine list in the state. Yeah, well, it's definitely a lot of fun. Bufflin has been my favorite restaurant mm. since I lived in Austin. Um, I remember the very first time I went there, how memorable it was, was the first time I had Domaine Valette wines and just this really beautiful, like intimate dining experience. And before I worked there, you know, so the restaurants closed Monday and Tuesday, um, which often was would fall on my days off. The industry weekend. Exactly. So I just remember like on nights where I would randomly be off on like a Wednesday through a Sunday um, nights, how giddy I would feel just being able to know that I was going mm -hmm. to Bufalina for dinner. And Chris and I had a lot of our first dates there. And I've always been drawn to the wine list, of course, but you're right. It is such an interesting mix of people that come in for the pizza specifically and are, you know, they ask for the wine list and are just like, oh my God, you guys have all these wines. Like, where do you put them? This restaurant's so small. And like, story of my life, where do we put them? We're still figuring that out. And we should say the wine list, it's it's not in any way like fetishized. I mean, like you literally print it on like eight by 11 pieces of just like regular printer paper. There, It's not yeah, some- staple. Yeah, it's not a tome. It's not leather bound. It's just like, here's the pieces of paper that have the names of all of the wines that we carry. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, I think we have about uh, close to 400 selections uh, on the list right now. So it's, you know, it's pretty robust for, I think, just catches people off guard. Like they don't expect that when they come there, but um, I, it's this really beautiful cross and meaning of really great food and really great wine without 
all of the aesthetics of like a very polished restaurant. We really spend our time and energy focusing on the quality of what we're putting out and what we're giving to people. And we care less about yeah. what the wall looks, you know, looks like in the dining room and um, the floors, you know, it's like, an, it, it was an old car garage. And so it does have this very like rustic feel, but um, as for pizza, I mean, we don't skimp on ingredients. Like everything is like top notch. We make everything in house from scratch and we really try to bring wines to the table that we think are balanced, lower in alcohol, um, that really like work well with the type of, you know, the mm. simplicity of the food that we're serving, um, and try to stay away from, you know, high alcohol, mm. high oat content. Um, and obviously we focus on natural wines. So, so what's your favorite pizza wine combo right now? Like, what are you vibing on? Um, so we have a garden pizza on the menu right now that I really like, which is also happens to be one of our vegan pizza options, but it has like a squash puree on the bottom with pickled fennel, fresh cilantro and dill, fennel mm. hot sauce. And it's just like really bright and light. And so since I generally drink a lot of whites and rosés and sparkling wines, um, I tend to lean towards that one with like some of the Chablis producers we have on the list right now. Um, we just got our allocation of uh, Alice and Olivier de Moore stuff. Ooh, so it's oh, always so good. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> Those wines are great. Uh, I, I got a couple bottles of the Alagote from the Heights Grocer, one of the retailers here in Houston. Yeah. Um, those wines are fantastic. So yes. good. It's like Christmas when you get them. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in general, are you more of a red pie or a white pie kind of person? Definitely red pie person. Red pie. Yeah. Our tomato sauces to me, it's so simple and it's just organic crushed tomatoes and salt. Like we don't, you know, it's not a marinara. It's not like anything fancy. It's just simple. And it, I think to me, it's just really, it's flavorful and easy. Great. Totally. Well, I know that Bufalino right now, you guys are doing a wine uh, club, right? Cause you're not doing dine in at the moment. Everything's to go. And you guys created, yeah. or you really created an amazing immersive online retailer. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, whenever we shut down, uh, during COVID initially, I, the wine club is actually something I've wanted to start for a long time and just never really had uh, the time to commit to building that program up. And so it was really a great way for us to think about how we can continue to support our importers and distributors that we, we really like working with, um, like David, like Ian from Rootstock and also, keep the community hydrated because as we saw, yeah. people are still drinking wine and mm -hmm. probably drinking more of it. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so uh, we wanted to still provide the same experience of what you would get when you would come in and dine at the restaurant, which is, you know, um, hand-selected wines, small producers, natural focus. And then we make uh, little info cards for each wine that tells you a little bit about the grape, the producer, where it comes from, and like the philosophy of the winemaker and a pizza pairing to go along with it as well. Yeah, if you go to the website, it's incredibly detailed. At Bufalina's website, it's not just like the name of the wine. It's like a full description about everything from the winery to the winemaker. You've made the search engine possible for you to find wines based on very specific things. Like you can type in women-made wines and find things like Lopez de Heredia, find Oki Pinti, find these wines through a really great, well-organized search engine. I mean, it's great. Thank you. Yeah. I really thought about how I like to, whenever I'm researching wines that like we're buying for the list, um, you know, I get so frustrated sometimes when I'm having to click between 
an importer's website and like three or four different websites just to get a collective amount of information to understand one bottling. And so I really wanted to build a place where people could get all that information in one spot, learn a little bit more because I highly believe in educating people about wine and sort of empowering them to feel like they're knowledgeable enough to search and purchase things without the help of a professional. Um, and I, also, obviously, being able to search for women made wine, I don't know a single website that you can do that um, right now. So I feel like we're one of the first. And uh, that's obviously very important to me. So Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you about the Wonder Women of Wine Festival that you put together. Its inaugural conference was last year in 2019. I first really heard about it when we were on our trip to the Loire Valley. When you were in the throes of, you know, intense logistical <sighs> nightmares, I can only yeah. imagine what it was like trying to put together a two-day conference when you're out of the fucking country, like yeah, I, <laughs> not the best time to travel in my on my part. <laughs> but um, but I had the opportunity to go to the conference, and it was a great opportunity for me to kind of sit down, shut up, and listen and hear from so many women in the industry what their experience is like. So maybe we can start by just kind of talking about why and how you started. Wow. Yeah. I, so I've been working in the wine industry for about 10 years now, and really a lot of my time with studying and testing has been through the Court of Master Sommeliers. Um, and when I was first getting started in wine, I was working at Papa's Brothers Steakhouse in Houston, which, um, as you know, and I'm sure some of your listeners know, is world-renowned wine program um, with, right now, I think probably about a 4,500 bottle selection uh, so I started there in 2010, and I was already very interested in pursuing wine in some form or facet. Um, I was studying anthropology at the time at U of H and was trying to think of ways to bring wine into a future thesis. And it was when I started there that I really recognized the potential for a great career in the wine industry with being able to travel and still understanding culture through serving wine and having these experiences with people. And it was really um, something that I was excited to pursue. And um, at the time I was working with, there were, I think it was one female song there when I started, Carla uh, Canzini, who left shortly after. But other than that, it was about four or five uh, men that I was working with. And you know, I had really only other, I had worked with one other song previously who was also a guy um, at the restaurant right before Papa's. And so, you know, kind of an outsider looking in, my whole perspective and understanding of wine is like, okay, this is a lot of, a lot of men running the show here. Mm -hmm. You know, I was very intimidated to get started and to express that I wanted to move into the wine department there. I was 23, I think at the time when I started. And, um, and just to clarify, you were uh, a, a server there before or? Yes, I started as a server. And then yeah. you worked your way up to the role of some. Yeah. Yeah. I started in 2010 and I think by 2013, I was working um, about half of my time with the wine team doing tastings. And I had a couple of SOM shifts on the floor doing inventory and um, all the fun, you know, seller organizing <laughs> tasks yeah. that come along with that. But, um, you know, so as I was studying and learning and attending classes and being part of the Houston Psalm Association, when that was first getting started with David. And yeah. Shout out HSA. Yeah. That was my intro to the wine world too. So yeah, it was a really, a really great time to be studying and to learning with that group. But yeah, I just always felt like, um, 
you know, when I'd ask a question or if I wanted to learn how to sell and, and try to especially sell to the Pappas clientele, which are a lot of businessmen and kind of uh, top 1% of Houston and very high rollers, it was very intimidating for me. And I always felt like I was having to readjust the way that I thought that I should do something to feel like I was fitting in with this ideal sommelier candidate for the court. And um, you know, being told that I needed to get in and be buddy buddy with these master psalms who were, you know, 50, 60 year old men that passed uh, the master psalm exam in like 1980s and 1990s and was like, I naturally don't feel like I can just walk up and be friends with these guys. Like, what are we, yeah, what do we have in common? You know, for, for, for people listening that maybe aren't super familiar with the concept of like the master sommelier, it's this accreditation by, by this one group and it's a very mysterious three part exam that you have to pass 90%, 95% of the people you see <laughs> yes. are white men. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and that, and that to me was very much my reality at the time. And so mm-hmm. um, I didn't work for a, a woman in the wine industry until I moved to Austin and I worked for uh, Vilma Mazaiti. Oh, I was shout out Vilma. Me. She's the best. Yeah. I love her. Yeah, she's awesome. So she was the first you know, she was studying for her MS whenever I first started working for her. And so it was a really, you know, Vilma's very like romantic and like just the way that she moves around the floor and the way she talks about wine. It was so different than anything that I had ever seen before. It was just a completely refreshing new experience um, to work with her. And so at that time, whenever I was working for Vilma is whenever I passed the advanced exam, that was July of 2015. And I guess my point leading up to how, how and why I started WOW is that I really wanted to create a space for women that were getting started in this industry, women that have been in this industry for a long time to feel like they have allies, that there are really amazing female mentors um, in this industry, that there is a space for us. We are welcomed here. Um, we can do great things in this industry, and we just need to network together and start talking about some of these issues that I think a lot of us have experienced, but that we've normalized um, and really bring them to the forefront and also start building a strong allyship of men um, in this industry. The, um, the idea for a two-day conference was really very clear to me from the beginning. I knew that if we were going to have a conversation about wine, people would want to drink wine. Um, and so I didn't want to do anything like a tasting where we're just talking about a wine region or a varietal um, like so many other conferences. And I really wanted us to dedicate the time and the energy to having these important conversations, but also have a time to, you know, actually support women winemakers and winery owners, which as we know, with some statistics, there are very few of those. And so how do we get these wines in front of people um, and start just making them more available? Yeah. You know, I think that's something that's really important about what you created with Wonder Women of Wine is that it was really about creating something meaningful where someone could walk away from the experience having learned something. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one of the the best and most frequent uh, types of feedback that I received from people that attended was especially on Sunday, uh, which is the, the day that we did the tasting, a lot of women just coming up and saying, you know, this is the first time I've been to a wine tasting where I feel like I, my questions are taken seriously. I'm respected. I don't feel like people are talking down to me or simplifying answers because they don't think that I understand um, the wine and like I can walk up to a table and feel welcomed. Like it was just a very refreshing tasting experience that I think a lot of women don't often get in general wine tastings. I feel like we always feel like we're 
I, I know I have definitely felt that way where I ask a question that I think is, you know, very important or relevant. And the answer I get is often uh, very simple. Like I don't know anything about wine at all. And it just makes you feel very small um, and not welcomed. And so I really appreciated hearing that that was not the case at our event. Yeah, it was really helpful to hear from so many different sides of the industry. I mean, something that was so great about what you created with WOW is you had these panel discussions that featured literally every part of the wine industry. You had winemakers there. You had sommeliers there. You had Mm -hmm. importers there. You had distributors there. Like every part of the industry was covered and you had different generations of women in the wine industry there. One of the most meaningful ones for me was hearing the conversation with different winemakers. And I think you had, I think it was Martha Stuman. I think she was mm-hmm. there talking about her experience making wine out of the country. She was, I think she she initially tried making wine in France and had such a negative experience. She went to Italy, right? Yeah, she, she worked for um, uh, Coase. Yeah, down mm-hmm. in Sicily. Yeah. So she was working for Giusto and Ariana Occhipinti at Coase. And I remember her saying, and I think it was also referenced by a couple other people on that panel, was that when they were kind of broken up into groups of people working at the wineries, it was the women will go to the lab and they'll spend time there and they'll do tests and whatever else you do in the lab. And the men will stay in the cellar and do what's, I'm using air quotes here, like the heavy work or the yeah. the harder, more physical part of the job. Yeah. I think a, a lot of, I mean, there was like Kathy Corson was on that. Uh, panel as well, Allison Smith's story. Yeah, I mean that that is the the story that I've heard so many times from so many winemakers um, in the industry, and it, it's almost shocking because you're like, wait a minute, isn't aren't we in the 21st century? Like, is this really still this stereotypical div- division um, that's happening? And um, you know, it was really great hearing from uh, Adrian Ballou. Mm-hmm. Um, from Lightsum when she was up there and she's like, guys, it's not that hard. Like cellar work is not that hard. Like you learn <laughs> yeah. it, right? Um, you have to ask questions and sometimes that can be intimidating, but like we are physically capable. Don't let that intimidate you. I'm, and- I'm sure that, you know, while the conference was going on, you were, you were probably running around trying to make sure that everything was good. I'm sure it was challenging to kind of just be in the moment and listen to the panel discussions. But do you remember there being... Any any surprises along the way? Anything that you heard that was really insightful that you didn't expect to hear? Any moments of spontaneity there? Yes, um, absolutely. So I I actually got to sit in the front row um, for the conference because that VIP I, spot. You're like courtside seats at an NBA game here. This is great. <laughs> my team was so amazing, and so I actually felt very very relaxed the week the week leading up to it, which I did not expect to feel. But yes, I was in the front row. I did have my phone on and texting back and forth with everyone the whole time, but. I will say that I was completely caught off guard by Victoria James's closing speech of the day. And um, I, I asked her, you know, she wasn't in my mind set up to be a keynote speaker. But of course, I think after she gave that speech, I was just like, oh, my God, this is our closing keynote. It was so profound to me. But, you know, I told her, like, I, I would like for you to talk um, by yourself about your experiences being a young sommelier in New York and how you have worked your way up from, like, a diner waitress to a partner at this Michelin star restaurant. Like what has that been like for you? And of course, this was before her book came out. So I had no idea about her experiences really in depth. And um, she took it as a moment to share, you know, her me too stories 
which have were multiple. And yeah, if anyone listening has not purchased a copy of Victoria James's Wine Girl, you should pause the podcast and go buy it. It's on Audible if you're more of an audiobook person. She narrates it herself, uh, but it's great. Yeah, I read it. I think in like two or three days. It was, yeah. I couldn't put it down. Um, but yeah, she, you know, she got up and she so bravely shared, um, her story and at the ends, which was the part I'm just getting chills thinking about, she just opened it up to, to anyone that wanted to stand up and share their stories if they'd experienced something similar and just being in the room and knowing that you have all the support around you. It was one of the most moving experiences um, of my life. And I just, I I did not see it coming. And not that I didn't expect a lot from her. I did. I just didn't know that it was going to be that powerful and that personal. And it was incredible. It was really powerful. I mean, it was, it was great. Yeah. And it was something that I thought was so relevant because I really started well on the heels of the Me Too movement. And so the Me Too stories weren't really part of our you know, planning or discussion points um, like they were actually going to be this year. And so I was so glad that that element came into the room and we were actually able to talk about some of the harder stuff um, that I think is makes a lot of people uncomfortable and can be very triggering. Um, but I'm just really grateful that that became part of, an integral part of the conference. Was that part of your kind of like thought process when you were creating those discussion points for the panels, you know, there's always the question, how far do you, do you push the, push the conversation? How comfortable are people going to be getting uncomfortable? And that's certainly something that I think all of us are thinking about right now is having these really uncomfortable conversations. When you were putting together this conference and you're thinking about ways to market it to the general public, were you thinking about that? Like the challenges it might present, you know, triggering certain people, you know, bringing up potential trauma as the organizer of this event, how much of that was at the forefront of your thought process as you were putting everything together? So I, I'll say that, um, you know, it wasn't very much, um, it wasn't, I think the, the elements of the, the triggering factor and the sensitivity of a lot of these conversations was not really on my mind so much the first year. It was definitely part of our planning for this second year um, because we were actually had panel discussions centered around sexual violence um, and sort of the, the power, you know, struggle in the industry and how that relates to sexual violence. And so we had planned to have, you know, trained professionals in the room to be there if anyone feels uncomfortable um, to, to get up and go talk to somebody or to understand that if you need to leave the room, that's totally acceptable. Mm -hmm. um, at the time of planning the first conference, I was actually still kind of coming to terms with my Me Too story and uh, learning a lot about what that, you know, what that was like for me and how to adjust from it. And I think that's actually one of the things that spawned starting WOW was I knew I felt, I felt empowered and I wanted to do something different, but I was still learning so much and I didn't really know mm -hmm. um, how to navigate those conversations, especially on a, a larger scale like that. And so this year, you know, one of the people that was really going to be leading uh, one of our conversations about that was um, Ashton Berry, who um, her she started the Radical Exchange 
uh, conference. The Collectress, if we want to shout her out on uh, Instagram. Yes. Amazing, amazing voice within the community. And she's based in New Orleans, right? Yes. And so she really helped guide a lot of the building of that conversation and that panel in general because we were, you know, we had to change our keynote speaker last minute, which I won't get too much into, but understanding like what that experience is like for people that have gone through it and how every person's experience is different and how do we navigate this in a way that is safe and comfortable for everybody? You know, what do we lead up? What do we lead with? Um, what types of speakers do we have talking about these issues? And um, just making it feel like it's a safe space for everyone that's there and participating was really important to us. You know, on the topic of making it, you know, a safe space and a welcoming space to everyone, I attended uh, the conference last year with my girlfriend uh, who does not work in the wine industry. She's mm -hmm. a corporate lawyer. She works in another, you know, male dominated industry. And mm -hmm. so many of the things that were brought up in those conversations with importers and winemakers, those were all things that she could directly identify with uh, working as a corporate lawyer in Houston, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it was a really powerful conversation we had on the way back. And she identified with everyone that spoke that day, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it was a learning experience for me to see kind of the universality of some of these issues. So sure. the point that was made by multiple people that um, in general, men will apply for positions that they might not think they're qualified for. They'll just mm -hmm. fucking wing it, send in their CV and, you know, see what happens or they'll bluster their way through the interview. You know, and what I heard from so many people on that panel uh, was that there's a lot of, you know, challenges applying for positions and voicing your reason for being there, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or this feeling of needing to defend yourself for why you're worthy of this, you know? And that was something that I hadn't considered as an employer. I mean, I don't want to come across like some like, galaxy brain like oh i'm just now realizing this but like it was yeah. it was really important for me to hear that conversation and i wouldn't have heard it if i hadn't gone to wow yeah i'm so glad to hear that it's amazing how the first that imposter syndrome is like this common thing that we talk about now but i remember the first time that i read about it and heard about what it was i was like oh my god i'm not the only person this is Wait, this is a thing like, this yeah. is a real thing yeah. um and, you know, I've read books and, and heard that, like, Meryl Streep suffers from imposter syndrome. And you're like, Meryl Streep? Like, what? She's amazing. But I, I think it's that, to your point, like, the conversations that we have, the reason why we were able to get such a great balance between wine professionals and just wine enthusiasts or consumers is because these are stories that everyone can relate to. And no matter what the industry, you know, what, what industry they're working in, like these stories don't, they're not strictly related to the wine industry. It's, it's that, that power struggle, that balance, you know, uh, of finding diversity, which as we know, doesn't exist even in, obviously in our political system and, and everything that we do in our lives. And so um, I'm really, really grateful that there was a, br a broader appeal. Um, and I think that that's something that we really want to continue to focus on and, you know, expanding this. It's not just the wine industry, it's the beer industry, it's the spirits industry. Um, you know, it's also all about like the intersectionality of feminism. And, you know, a lot of this struggles, I think that when I was first putting the uh, 2019 conference together, I was basing a lot of it off of my own internal experiences. And so I think 
there was definitely like a lack of diversity of speakers. Like there was a great diversity, as you mentioned, with different sections of the industry being represented, um, uh, age groups, but we really did not do a good job of like bringing in um, more black women, um, LGBTQ, um, and really focusing on like perspectives that we don't, like I don't understand. And I know that just because you're a woman doesn't mean that your experience is the same. Um, it, it's greatly varied. And so we really wanted to make that a focal point of the conversation this year um, and in future years. Yeah. You know, I think, I think you bring up something really important, which is sometimes we think about whether it's gender or race, we think about it in these monolithic terms, but there are lots of different experiences that can change depending on someone's, you know, economic background, you know, someone's, you know, age, like what generation they grew up in. I mean, that was something that came up last year at the conference was, I think it was Karen McNeil talking about her experiences compared to like Marissa Ross's experiences. You had these yeah. two different amazing, you know, women pioneers, but coming at it from two very different kind of generations. And you were talking a little bit about like what your goals are, what your goals were for the 2020 conference and kind of incorporating more diversity. So, you know, for listeners, the conference wasn't able to happen because of the coronavirus uh, in the lead up to the conference and kind of in the aftermath of getting it canceled. What, what, what ended up happening? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely felt like we really did a great job of, of, um, bringing in multiple perspectives, uh, to our speaker list this year you know, it's funny to think now about how, what everything that's going on and how much more aware we are and to, to feel in a way like guilty that that perspective wasn't there three months ago or a year ago and, and just how quickly we can learn and how we can learn to do better and to reach out more and to be more, um, you know, active in, really focusing on these goals because as we know, a lot of, you know, women's victories, I guess, in history are really centered on white women achieving things that did not include women of color, like the right to vote. And I really wanted to make sure that when we talked about these hard conversations this year, that it wasn't just about white women's perspectives, because as we know, we do have certain privileges that we might not necessarily recognize or uh, want to admit to that have led to our success um, or our positions um, in this industry. And we think that, well, we're women, so we, we have these, you know, collective struggles, of course, but um, to think how much harder it is for other women to be respected uh, in the wine industry is really, it, it hurts to think about that. You know, you think that being a black woman makes it 10 times harder. Um, you earn so much less money on the dollar that uh, a white woman or an Asian woman, especially compared to a man makes in this industry. And it's just like, these are the issues that we need to be focusing on. And um, it's equality for everyone. So yeah, I, I want to give you credit here. Last week in kind of preparation for this episode, you and I were talking and you pointed me in the direction of a wine writer, Julia Coney. And um, I had an opportunity to spend some time reading through some of her stuff. And, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, th there's more that we can be doing to be more inclusive and more welcoming. And it sounds like you were headed in the right direction with everything that you had planned for 2020. And I realized that with the conference canceled, 
was was there a plan to do any sort of like virtual material to supplement what was already online? Uh, what was kind of the goal once the decision got made to pull the plug on the 2020 physical conference? Where were you left? Because I'm sure that when the shit hit the fan, that hadn't that didn't feel good. I'm sure that it was rough. Oh God, no! I I yeah, I think as I mentioned, I definitely had a, a long hard cry <laughs> the day that we yeah when did when um, did the shit officially hit the fan for you when did when did it really get real i think it was literally like two weeks away from the conference and like we had been fighting up you know i think everything started happening even two weeks prior to that and we were just like fighting and watching the news and like waiting for city ordinances and just being like okay we're gonna take all these extra precautions to sanitize everything and to you know, just make people feel, you know, comfortable. And, um, and then slowly, but surely people started canceling one by one. And I was really surprised actually looking back at how many of our speakers were like still committed to coming. They were checking in like, Hey, is this still happening? Yes. And no one canceled. Um, and then it seemed like once the first person canceled, it was just like dominoes. And, um, but at that time, that was kind of right around the time that, uh, the mayor issued a city ordinance prohibiting events of a certain size in our Well, they had already canceled uh, South by Southwest, right? Absolutely, already- yeah. That was when I think everyone was like, oh shit, South by's canceled. Like, <laughs> oh my God, this is huge because it brings in like an insane amount of money for the city. It's never been canceled um, in pre- you know previous years. And so I think that's when everyone was like, oh, this is serious. Like, this is a big deal. Um, so we really held on as long as we could, but- it was inevitable. Um, so, you know, after that, I think it was just more like what is going on in the world? What, what is become, you know, everything was changing so quickly day by day that I think everyone was just kind of left in this like state of shock almost and not really knowing what to do, how to pivot. You saw some people of course start switching to virtual things pretty quickly, which is always impressive. But I think for, uh, for me, and I know for some of my team members, like we were just, I think, coping still with the loss of the event. Um, I remember the weekend that the conference was supposed to happen. It had felt like it had been two months since we decided to postpone it. And I was like, oh my God, it's just now conference weekend. Like time is moving so much more slowly. Um, But, you know, we thought about doing the virtual conference. We talked about that as a board and we just decided that it wouldn't it would not resonate. It would not have the same impact, especially, you know, in the month after um, when everyone is still just figuring out how to live and how to adjust. Like people, our message is not going to spread and, and you know, it's supposed to go beyond the walls of the events itself. And I, I'm thinking of like Victoria James's, you know, speech at the end of day one last year. And would that have had the same impact if she were saying that into a Zoom conference call, you know, I do, yeah, definitely she's a great not. orator. She she she's very good. Yeah, but being in the same room as people, sitting next to another person, like yes. you y- you can't recreate that. And it's challenging to think where wine conferences and salons tastings, like last year, our trip to the Loire Valley, a, you know, something like La Dive or mm-hmm. any of the other wine tastings that we went to. Where are those in a post-pandemic world? Where's the kind of community that you and I love so much that exists within the world of wine? Where's that going and how will it exist? 
Yeah, you know, I, I have seen and I've been on a few, um, as of you, with, you know, calls with yeah. some importers and there's definitely like, I know Louis Dresner is doing, you know, some some vineyard tours with certain winemakers now, which is pretty cool, but um, does it have the same, are we, you know, having croissants for breakfast and drinking wine <laughs> with these people? And like, it's not this, it's just doesn't have the same effects. Yeah. Um, and so I think with our organization, we've, you know, we've kept our weekly Femme Friday interviews going, which is something we've been doing now for almost two years, which is great. Um, you want to explain to people what that is? Cause it's super cool. Yeah. We, uh, basically we interview a different woman in the wine industry, um, every week and we ask, uh, it's a Q and a format and we ask, you know, a certain set of questions basically on how they got started in the industry. What was their aha moment that brought them into wine? And then, try and dig a little bit deeper and get their perspectives on gender equality and their experiences Mm -hmm. uh, with that in the industry. You know, how do they define a wonder woman of wine? What do they think needs to happen in the industry to uh, bring more diversity and equality to the forefront? And so it's really, it's been so fun to do those because you get just so many different perspectives. Um, In some you're like, wow, that's amazing. We all, we have all, experience that. And some people, you know, kind of can be surprising and say like, well, I've never experienced anything discriminatory as a woman in this industry. And you're like, wow. All right. That's great for you. Maybe do you, do you not recognize some things maybe that have happened or do you just have like this, you're exuding positivity and you just don't see that. That's great. But some of them are surprising. Some of them are they're all great to read, but we have them all up on our website and we do a condensed uh, interview post um, on our Instagram account. A couple of weeks ago, you did Amy, who's the GM of Code, but are there are there any that stand out to you that are really great if someone's looking to get into this, like a recent one that really resonated? Um, so I really like uh, Valentina Pasolacqua. Um, yeah. She's an amazing winemaker in Puglia and we featured her recently. I think her story is beautiful about why and how she started her winery and sort of her, her mission through, um, you know, achieving like a more peaceful lifestyle and creating a really sustainable brand and wines for her daughters. And um, I've just always been drawn to her story. So I think that one's great. Um, there, honestly, there are so many at this point yep. and like <laughs> there, and it's been, uh, yeah, they're very easy to find. If you go to Wonder Women of Wine's website, you can find them. You can go on Instagram and find them. Um, but yeah. then you're also doing a Texas Tuesday, right? Yeah, so that's more of a recent thing that we've started. That's probably the first project that we've started post uh, post whatever we're calling this time pandemic. <laughs> um, and dumpster fire uh, is the technical <laughs> name for it. <laughs> right. Okay. It sounds better. Shitstorm. That's <laughs> yeah. So we. Um, we, you know, we know that there's been a lot of curiosity uh, on the Texas wine industry, and um, we wanted to start just bringing some attention to uh, women in the industry here locally. Um, and so we do kind of do like a virtual tasting, but try to make it more about the conversation and less about the wine. And so we we worked with the ladies at Slate Mill Wine Collective, uh, Fall Creek Vineyards, um, and just tasted a few of their wines and sort of talked about how they got started in the industry, what their perspectives have been like. Um, it's been really, it's fun. Uh, we talked with, uh, Pedernales as well. Mm-hmm. Um, great Viognier from Pedernales. Yeah. Yeah. Wines are great. 
So that's something that we've been doing kind of every other Tuesday up until I think this week, maybe there's a small gap in between our regular programming, but we will resume soon. Well, this is, we, we should say that, you know, Wonder Women of Wine is obviously a big focus for you, but it is uh, just, it's your side hustle, for lack of a better word, right? This is the project that you're doing on the side. I mean, your full-time job is running the wine program for Bufalina. You run a wine consulting business called Vintel. I mean, I don't know how you balance all of this. You've got fucking a bajillion <laughs> calls in the year. How are you doing this? I don't know. I, um, I like to be busy. So for me, it's always nice to like, and I like having multiple uh, projects and tasks going on. It's like I'll, I'll get bored with one thing. And so it's nice to say, okay, I'm going to work from home to, you know, this afternoon and spend a few hours on WOW stuff and then uh, go into work and do Bufalina stuff and, um, you know, occasionally do like a wine class here and there for Vintel. Um, it's a lot. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I definitely feel like I take enough vacations throughout the year to like balance out all the intensity that happens in between yeah. them. So even if it's just three or four days, I completely relax and then refresh and then I'm ready to just like get back into it all. But there we go. I, I'm never bored. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there other things related to Wonder Women of Wine that you want to let people know? Yes. Um, I definitely want to mention that we did our first gender equality survey this year um, mm -hmm. on a national level. We worked with a data scientist named Rachel Woods, who runs an account called The Wine Nerd, and uh, puts together a great list of questions that were relevant to topics that we would have covered at the conference, mm -hmm. which is also when we would have uh, released the report. Um, but we're going to be releasing that probably within the next month, month and a half. Um, and it's a survey that we plan to conduct annually so that we can gather more research to, um, you know, figure out new conversations that need to be had. Uh, we can show businesses and kind of monitor where they feel like they are at on the gender equality uh, or diversity spectrum. There's There are some great surveys out there um, that focus, I think, on certain uh sides of the industry, um, you know, like the Guild Sommelier uh, comp, uh, salary survey, you know, exists for sommeliers. We don't mm -hmm. really have one, I think, for, you know, women in the industry as a whole or specifically for distribution or importing that's like actually out there and available mm -hmm. to the public. Um, we have stats on the number of uh, the percentage of wine, women winemakers in California and winery owners, but not across the nation as a whole or the world. And so I, we really wanted to bring some some hard facts um, mm -hmm. behind the conversations that we're having. So we think that that really makes them more, you know, um, they're going to be taken more seriously. People, again, you can't you can't lie, yeah. <laughs> can't hide behind. Um, statistics. So speaking from my own experience, I was happy to see other men that were at the conference. Um, and it was good for me to be in a position where I was in the minority. I think there were, I, you have the numbers, but like, I want to say like 5% to 10% of the people that attended were men. Yeah. More like five. Yeah. yeah 5%. Well, mm -hmm. you know, it was good for me to be in a position where I'm normally just kind of in the majority. And it was important for me to be in that position where I heard the other side and I'm curious, in your experience, organizing Wonder Women of Wine, you know, what can we as men, and specifically a white, straight man, what can I be doing to be a better ally? It's not your job to educate me, but 
but I'm curious what resources are out there that Wonder Women of Wine as a conference has either created or highlighted for, for people that want to be better allies? Yeah, that's, um, that's a great question. And I am very grateful for the, the men that have supported and attended our events and have shown interest in supporting us. Um, I definitely think that, you know, a lot of times events like ours can be viewed as women's events. Um, and I've had so many men ask me like, Hey, can we, can we come to this? Are we allowed to, are we allowed to even pour wine at this? Like, do you want us to send our, our female rep to represent the winery or something like that? And I just think that, um, knowing that you need to insert yourself into those spaces and those conversations more often, um, is really, really important because you need to hear those things, right? How can you learn if you're not, if you don't hear the perspective of people, you know, you know, women that have faced a lot of inequities, it's like you, you can't do anything if you don't know what the problem is. And so, um, just education in general, reading more, um, you know, reading more books, reading Victoria James's book, wine girl about her experience. I mean, that's really eye opening, I think for a lot of people and, um, asking the right questions, say, you know, if you see somebody, if you, if you're working in a restaurant and you see, you know, somebody say like, no, I want to talk to the, the real sommelier and they're asking for a man, like, you know, give credibility to your female counterpart, um, send them to the table, you know, back them up and, yeah. su- you know, verbally support them. That's so important. Those things are a lot of this, the inequities that I think the experience are so subtle. They're not black and white like they used to be, um, you know, in the in the 60s and 70s where women weren't allowed to work or you couldn't get a credit card without having a male cosigner, like all these things. Um, everything is so much more subtle these days. And so it's really up to us to focus on those one-on-one conversations and things that are said behind closed doors when women aren't around. There's a group of guys talking, you know, it's, mm-hmm. those those are the things that I think are super important. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that, you know, you have a lot on your plate these days with everything going on with Bufalina and maintaining everything for WOW. But uh, you got engaged recently. Congrats. Thank you. That's fucking yeah. awesome. Super yeah, cool. Yeah, it is. <laughs> do, you guys, yeah. do you guys have a wedding planned? Is there a date in mind or? Yeah, we're trying to, we're actually trying to do something this year. Um, we go up and spend a few weeks with Chris's mom's side of the family um, in Michigan, usually in August. So we're oh, going to awesome. try and do a small ceremony there um, with his family. Um, most importantly for his grandmother, I, I'm wearing her ring. So it's really oh, wow. important that she's, yeah, it's very special. So, well, what have you been doing during the core? I mean, like what's your uh, wine regimen been like these days? Well, <laughs> Funny you ask. I mean, we've definitely, with some of the new importer drops happening, we've definitely been picking up some of the new stuff and mm-hmm. and uh, splurging a little bit more on wine. But we recently realized that it was getting very expensive. And so we <laughs> recently got a box of uh, Jenny and Francois from the tank. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. So it's kind of been our house. That's so smart. Why didn't I think of that? That's so great. <laughs> yeah. It's great when you're like, ah, do we really need to open up another bottle? Oh, man. No, we'll just have a glass of tank. Yeah. No, that's so smart. Yeah, God. it's kicking myself for not doing that. It's, what, <laughs> it, it's a three liter um, yeah. bag in a box, right? Yeah, and it's like 40 bucks retail for a three liter. Yeah. Okay, so first of all, it's delicious, very it tasty. 
Um, Jenny and Francois, one of the best natural wine importers here in the States. One of the original. OG. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like low carbon footprint because it's liters of wine inside of a bag, inside of a box. There's no glassware involved and no cork. Like you're great. Yeah. It's so organic, high quality fruit. Um, it's great. Yeah. If someone is listening and they're in Austin, where can they buy that? Uh, you can definitely buy it. Bufalina. <laughs> Bufalina. Uh, let's plug, let's plug the wine club, <laughs> dude. Let's do yeah. it. You can buy it a la carte on the, the wine website. Um, I'm trying to think where else I've seen it actually in Austin. I'm not sure. I know a lot of places poured it by the glass, yeah. you know, before, but um, and we- and I know in, Houston, my mom has gone to White Ears to get it mm-hmm. a few times. And and we should say Jenny was a speaker at the conference last year, wasn't she? She was. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to tell yeah. her story? Because it is a I I think it's one of like my favorite stories in the world of wine. I think it's super cool. Well, yeah, she I mean, she was one of the first people to start importing natural wine, uh, I think over 20, maybe 22 years ago or something like that. Um, and of course, like most people haven't heard of natural wine until the past uh, two or three, four years, I think. Um, and so, I mean, I don't remember what happened with her partner. Maybe you can fill me in. I, I, I just remember, I, and I might totally fuck up the story. And if I do, I'll cut it out <laughs> of the podcast. I'll, I'll In the editing room, it'll end up on the floor. But if okay. I remember correctly, she was studying at Harvard University and was abroad. And she was in Paris and just like, at a natural wine bar in, in the city of Paris and fell in love with wine while she was there and was like, this is what I want to do. Like, fuck whatever I'm studying at Harvard. Like, this is what I want. And she became passionate about wine through that experience being in Paris. I think she was studying abroad. I Maybe studying okay. film specifically. Um, I think she was studying French film, was abroad while at Harvard, and then decided to focus on that instead. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I Super forgot cool that. story. And, you know, she works not only with some amazing producers from Europe, but as a distributor in New York, champions a lot of the really great natural wine producers from the West Coast. So I know that like Las Haras is with them. I think mm-hmm. that um, St. Reginald Parish mm-hmm. is with them in uh, New York. So super yeah. cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, one of my favorite, all time favorite producers is uh, Hervé Suho. And, um, so I've always just, yeah, I remember when I first started tasting her wines was when Ian with Rootstock was just getting started and was always intrigued by them. So she's, she's a badass for sure. Hell yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Rania, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Um, anything else you want to let, let the people know? Um, I do want to just give a big shout out to the amazing Wonder Woman of Wine team that has helped make everything that we've done possible. So it is definitely not a one woman show. Um, we have an amazing board of directors and uh, on our planning team, um, Annie Chernish is amazing, Anna Kale, Veronica Muse, Kelly Frizzol, Lisa Martin-Loro, J.R. Ayala, Ashley Muir. Um, it's a it's a really, really awesome group uh, to work with, and they've all done amazing work with the organization. So, hell yeah. yeah. Thank awesome. you, team. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, um, good luck with everything at Bufalina this week. I'm sure that, Thank you. you know, it's it's only Monday, so you got a 
work week ahead of you, unless you're off tomorrow. I don't know. It's the industry weekend, maybe. Tuesday is my delivery day, but I'm actually off Wednesday through Friday for a friend's birthday. So I do get one go. of those little mini vacations to refresh. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. It was so good chatting with you. Thank you so, so much for taking the time. Too. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. If you want to learn more about the work that WOW is doing, you can find out on Instagram at Wonder Women of Wine. It's one word, no underscores. And Rania just launched a new initiative called Allies, which amplifies the voices of black women in wine. I really want to thank Rania for sharing this information, and I want to thank you for listening. We'll be back with another episode next Wednesday. Thanks for listening to By the Glass. This is Chris. Keep drinking good wine, and we'll see you soon.